Hello and welcome to Bite Size Strategy, the podcast that provides you with less fluff and more stuff that you can actually use to grow your brand online. In every episode, we cut the banter, we get down to business, and we talk actionable tips and tricks for online marketing, copywriting, optimizing your website, and more. I'm your host, Ashley Kay, a web designer, digital strategist, and all-around nerd. If you would like to connect with me in between episodes, you can give me a follow on Instagram at BuildItAndBlossom or check out BuildItAndBlossom.com for more. Hey guys, how are we doing? I'm doing well, thank you for asking. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, in the last episode, I did like some banter for five minutes in the beginning of the episode, even though the intro promises no banter. And I don't know, man, I'm just a little bit not sure about what format I want to do for the show. So I would love to hear from you if you're liking the banter in the beginning of the episode. Tell me about it. If you're hating it, you can tell me about it too, and you want to hurt my feelings, I just want to know, because I'm kind of undecided. I was listening to the last episode back, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to, like, commit to spending the first five minutes of every episode (laughs) updating you about my life, because there are some weeks when I just don't have much to say. Like, this week, I just, I don't know. Like, I've been really busy. I've been trying to wrap everything thing up online, because the holidays, like Christmas, is coming up. It's only... It's less than a week away at this point. And so I've just been trying to wrap everything. I can't even talk today. I'm, I'm, I'm doing things like so quickly with quality, but quickly <laughs> trying to make sure I get through everything that I'm speaking really fast and I'm getting tripped up. So yeah, that's how like my day's been going, you know? Yeah, lots of work, lots of doing that kind of stuff. In addition to that, um, I have discovered the Disney Plus app. I know. I'm living really behind the times right now because I'm sure most of you discovered the Disney Plus app like probably a year or two ago, but whatever. I've been going through like all these movies that I really used to like when I was like seven or eight. I haven't watched them since. So at this point, you know, that's been like 20 years almost. Actually, maybe it's more than 20 years. My math is bad today. Um, So Anastasia was one of my favorite movies. And no, it's not a Disney movie. That's a common misconception. It's actually a Fox movie. But I think because Disney bought Fox, that's why it's available on the Disney Plus app. So I watched Anastasia yesterday. And oh my god, like it was just like a a walk back in time. You know what I mean? So I really like music, and I find that I'm really, like, in tune with music. So, like, I got very emotional when, like, all the songs came on because it just brought me back. And it was just a really great experience. But, yeah, if you haven't seen Anastasia, um, or if you have seen Anastasia but you haven't seen it in a while, I recommend watching it again and let me know uh, what you think. It's actually a little bit darker then I remember it too. Like the Rasputin song, if you listen to the lyrics, it's like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is a dark song. I don't know if I would like want my kids like singing, like singing along to this song. And it's like, oh, in the dark of the night, evil will find her. Like, I don't know about that. I'm not down with that. You know what I mean? But it is a catchy, a catchy little number. Um, so anyway, tonight is going to be the Hunchback of Notre Dame movie night. <laughs> so I I really liked that movie too when I was a kid. I remember for like my eighth birthday or something, 
I had a hunchback of Notre Dame cake and it was like normally I'd have birthday parties and obviously you know I'd like invite like all the kids in my class Um, but normally like my parents would have these birthday parties at a place like at a different location my birthday is in the winter so we couldn't just do it outside so like I'd have like a bowling alley birthday party um a swimming pool, a swimming pool birthday party. Like my parents would rent a hotel room and then we go down to the pool. Did anyone else do this? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's weird. Like I grew up in the upper Midwest. So like we didn't really like go swimming in the winter. So being able to go swimming in the winter was a big deal. And so it's like what um, some kids did for their birthday parties. I don't know. I feel like I'm losing you guys. But anyway, I had um, a hunchback of Notre Dame cake for, I believe, my eighth birthday. And it was the only birthday party that I had at my house. And I remember all these kids came in and they were kind of like mean to me. And I'm like, man, like it's my birthday. Why are you being mean to me? And it just, it kind of sucked. And they went in my room and like hid in my closet and went through all my things. And I do not like that. So I'm an only child. I like my privacy. I like my space. They did not respect my space. And I got really upset. And I think I cried. And um, yeah, other than that, I think it was an okay birthday. But that stands out. So anyway, tonight I'm going to be reliving the hunchback of Notre Dame time in my life. Hopefully I'm not going to be thinking too much about the birthday party because that wasn't that pleasant. But I really enjoy the movie. So hopefully I'll be thinking about that. Anyway, that's your five minutes of banter that I, I don't even know where we're at with that. Did I promise you that or did I not promise you that? I'm not sure. Lots going on. And hey, that actually kind of ties into today's episode because today we're going to be talking about what happens when there's a lot going on in the form of choices. Okay, I'm tying it into the episode here. Here we go. We're, we're getting started. So the more choices you offer... The more choices you have, the better, right? Because, I mean, who doesn't like variety? Mm. But there is a point when too many options begin causing problems. And when that happens, a little something called choice paralysis happens. And this is a term that I believe was first penned by Barry Schwartz, who is a professor and um, he's a psychologist, I think. Maybe he's just a psychology professor. If you're a professor of psychology, does that make you a psychologist? I actually don't know. But I like giving credit where credit is due. So this term, I believe, was invented by Barry Schwartz. Anyway, let's talk about jam. (laughs) I had no segue there, but we're going to talk about jam. Why? Because back in 2000, there were two psychologists who were coming out of Columbia and Stanford universities, and they published a study about jam. Okay, so their research assistants posed as store employees at a high-end grocery store in the San Francisco Bay Area. So it's real bougie up there. They probably hit one of those real fancy, expensive grocery stores. And what they did, these research assistants, they set up two individual displays. So the first display was called the limited choice display. And this display featured six different jams. And then there was another display, and this one was called the Extensive Choice Display, and it featured 24 different kinds of jams, okay? So you have your limited choice display, only features six jams, 
and then you have your extensive choice display features, lots more jams. <laughs> okay. And the, what I kind of imagine these things were like, or like little like end caps or like, not like, I don't want to say kiosk, but like if you've ever been to Costco or Sam's Club and they're doing like the samples, you know, they have the person working and then they're like, hey, like sample the jam. And then like, if you like it, they'll be like, okay, you can go over there and like pick out the jam and here's a coupon for it. So that's basically what these research assistants did at the store in the SF Bay area. Okay. So these two displays were rotated out hourly and that's just a control measure to make sure that people were seeing them equally. And customers were, you know, like I just described, they were invited to approach the displays, they were able to sample the jams, and then if they were interested, they received a $1 off coupon off of any jam. And regardless of which display they encountered, the limited choice display or the extensive choice display, if the customer wanted to purchase the jam, they had to go pick it out from the individual like jam aisle, you know, a ways away from the display. And in the aisle, of course, they could see all of the different flavors of jams that were available. All of them. Why am I saying this? Like, what's the point here? Well, here are some results, okay? The researchers found that 30% of the customers who came into contact with the smaller limited choice display, that's the one with only six jams on display, so 30% of those customers ended up making a final jam purchase. But the customers who stopped at the extensive choice display with 24 jams only 3% of those guys went on to make a jam purchase. Kind of weird, right? In this particular instance, having fewer choices, having fewer options like available at the display point was actually more motivating for customers. The display featuring less options performed far better than the one that offered more choices. And other studies have actually came to similar conclusions that more choice is not always better. And like, guys, I get it, right? You know, like those uh, fast fashion brands like Forever 21 and Shein? Fast fashion in general, not that good for the environment, so I try to avoid them. So they're notorious for producing high volumes of clothing at a very rapid pace. And their clothes always are pretty on trend, which is cool, but the bad for the environment part, not so cool. Um, so anyway, in an interview with Forbes, Shein's chief marketing officer said that the brand drops 700 to 1,000 new styles daily. Like, oh my god, that's a shiz ton of new styles, right? And I don't know, like, have you ever tried to shop at Shein? It's a website, by the way. Um, although, like I said, I try to avoid fast fashion as much as I can. I was in a situation a couple months ago where I really wanted slash needed, I don't know, I'd say more want than need, but I wanted a blazer and one of my friends said that I should check Shein out, um, said that they had really good styles, they were affordable, all that shiz. So I went to Shein's website and what did I find? Well, I found lots of options. And if I'm being totally honest with you, I found too many options. So I like online shopping as much as the next uh, fashion forward millennial 
but you know, like I just needed a blazer. I didn't need 200 versions of a blazer that nearly looked identical to one another. So even though I spent probably, oh, who am I fooling? I was going to say a half hour, but oh my God, it was probably over an hour. I, I spent over an hour looking through all of the options at Shein, the website. And in the end, what happened is I became so overwhelmed, I just said, screw it or some variation of that, probably not the, the PG version. Um, and I just left the website, and I never ordered anything at all. I didn't order the blazer from Shein. I didn't order any blazer from Shein. And in an article authored by the same person who penned the term choice paralysis, Barry Schwartz, it's described that both psychology and business have operated on the assumption that the more choices people have, the better off they are. So in psychology, cho choice is tied to autonomy and control. Like, that's good, right? Additional choices, they don't hurt anyone, right? And they are bound to help at least one person out there, right? Well, in reality, while choice is indeed generally good for us, its relationship to our satisfaction is a little bit more complex than originally thought, because the more choices we have, the more time and effort it takes us to sort through those choices. And this can lead to anxiety, regret, overly high expectations, just bad stuff in general. And we're also prone, which is kind of weird, but we're prone to blame ourselves if we make a choice that doesn't work out. But with fewer choices to pick from, like right out the gates, this isn't as big of a deal. But when you've got a thousand of choices, because, you know, Shein is dropping 700 plus new items a day, well, all of this can become really overwhelming, and to avoid the pain, we kind of just avoid making decisions at all. We go somewhere else where the decisions aren't so plenty and we aren't so overwhelmed. We'll even maybe spend more money on a blazer on another website because they made the process so much easier and they made our lives simpler as a result. So what does all of this mean for us? For people building brands online, for people who own websites and are just trying to do the best that they can out there. Well, for one thing, it affects our offerings, right? You know, the product or the service or the thing that you offer people. I don't think that I've ever worked with someone who only has one offering, you know, maybe as they're starting, yes, but as they get going, they find that they have more offerings, they have several offerings, at least they maybe have several variations of a single offering. That's a good thing, but what we have to be careful of is having too many things to offer our audience because when we do that, we aren't able to truly showcase our specialty or our expertise. So have you ever been to like one of those restaurants that does it all? <laughs> Again, maybe this is like like the swimming pool birthday party thing. Maybe this is just something that exists in the Midwest. I don't know, but there are a lot of these um, back where I'm from. So there's like the type of restaurant that has a menu that's like 10 pages long. Um, they do breakfast all day. They have eight different soups that are probably like originally frozen in a bag. I'm not trying to like throw shade. I just, I've worked in a restaurant <laughs> and the soup sometimes comes frozen in a bag. 
it's good, but frozen in a bag. Um, and this restaurant has like every deep fried appetizer you could ever dream of, um, like a Mexican food section, even though they're located in the heart of the Midwest. I don't know. Like, maybe you know exactly the type of restaurant that I'm talking about. Maybe you're like, what is this place? It sounds amazing. I don't know. But if you've ever been to one of these restaurants, what you start to notice is that although the food may be okay, like perfectly serviceable, very rarely is the food exceptional. Very rarely do these types of restaurants have that one menu item that is a real standout. You know, they don't have that thing that they're known for. And personally, I'm always like a little hesitant of the quality of the ingredients and freshness of the food because like if you offer so many things, right, if your menu is 10 pages long, you have to have all of that inventory on hand to make everything. And if you have a larger inventory but not a lot of, you know, customers coming in to eat all of it, that inventory is prone to spoilage, which is gross. And that could just mean that the restaurant is using less than fresh ingredients to make your meal. Again, gross. And it's this type of restaurant, you know, generally, that people aren't really going to be <laughs> ranting and raving about, right? It's the type of restaurant that someone is going to say something like, well, hey, like, if you aren't sure what you're in the mood for, there's always that place. They have a lot of food options. There's something for everyone, and it's usually okay quality. They use that voice, too. Well, guys, like, that's not the type of reaction we want someone to have to your brand. We don't want someone to, like, talk about or think about your brand like that. If your brand was a restaurant, we want people to be saying something like, hey, let's go to that place. They have the best maple-infused old-fashioned, and their signature prime rib bowl is to die for. And we get them talking like that by trimming the fat. So we can cut down what we specialize in. It'll be okay, I promise. We can give people fewer options, but we can make sure that we do those options really, really, really well. And when we cut down the noise, we can better focus, which allows us to put more like time and energy and resources into those things that we do really well. So whether you're still developing your offerings or you have been working with them for years, it's always a good idea to review these regularly. Make them leaner and meaner. <laughs> and review how you are like presenting them to your audience, like to potential clients as well. Are your offerings clear or are they a little confusing? How many options do you have? Are you overwhelming people? Do you have too many choices? Do you properly highlight the differences between the options? Or could people who are new to you be unsure how these options differ from one another? Remember, they're not in your head. They aren't you. They don't know how they differ. Only you know that. So you have to make sure that you do a great job conveying that to your audience and to these potential clients or customers. So when I work one-on-one -on -one with clients in my website design and development work, I offer three packages. I do just the website, I do the website plus branding design, and then I do the website branding design and strategy development. And I actually used to have four packages, and my fourth 
offering was just branding design. But, you know, people mainly know me for web design and strategy, not just branding. So I hardly had like anyone coming to me just wanting branding. And, you know, my main passion is in websites. So what did I do? I trimmed the fat. I gave people less options. They still have autonomy to choose, but they aren't so overwhelmed. And because I cut one package out, I'm able to spend more time strengthening the others up and making those better and just really tightening everything up there too. Um, it's also the same for me with payment plans. So when I present people with options, you know, I typically will give them three choices. I say you can break the payment down into two, three, or six equal monthly payments. Usually, you know, they also have the option to work something else out with me if that doesn't work. Um, but I used to say, like, we can do two, three, four, five, or six equal monthly payments because, like, I figured if we can do three equal monthly payments and six equal monthly payments, obviously we can just as easily do four or five monthly payments. But, like, that's just a lot to list. And it's also not necessary because I never had someone pick four or five. They're kind of random numbers. Most people were picking two, three, or six, so I cut the ones that people weren't choosing out, and it results in less options, less choice, but it just feels better, and it's more clear. It's less for my customers, my clients, to sift through, and they are all about it, right? <laughs> we're all about like that, that simple, straightforward life, okay? And getting a little bit more into the technical side of things here, we also want to make sure that we are aware of choice paralysis so we can actively avoid it when we are putting together the different parts of our website. So like think the navigation menu. That consists of the links that show up at the top of the page, usually right up top by the logo. And the navigation menu is one of those areas where oftentimes there are just too many choices. And while it's important to offer the proper choices to people visiting your website, right? So it's important to give people visiting the proper directions to explore all of the various parts of your website, like the about page, the contact page, the blog. What I'm saying is we don't have to give them every direction. So like if you linked to every page you had, you'd have so many links up there, man. You'd have like a link to a random blog post or your privacy policy. That would just be weird. You don't need to have those pages front and center. And my guess is that you probably don't need to have all of the links that you currently have on your menu. So it's worth taking a check because you can always streamline, you can always pare things down. And most of the time, you're not cutting too much out, even though it may feel like that. You're just giving people more clear directions. So with the navigation menu, you know, I recommend keeping it to around five links. If you have a couple more than that, that's okay, but no more than eight links up top. And you want to make sure that you're focusing on the most important pages. So the about page, the contact page, the work with you page, that sort of thing. And of course, there are exceptions to everything. So the exception here is if you own a website that has a lot of products. So in that case, you know, you can employ something called a mega menu, which you see on a lot of retailers' websites. So a mega menu is a more complex, expandable menu where the choices are displayed in multiple columns. And sometimes there are even images. In the case of online shops, mega menus can be super helpful and perform really well. But for most of us, 
the rest of us, the simple five to eight link menu is what is recommended. And also with your website, you want to be aware of how many options you are presenting people in a single page view. So I visited a website a few months ago and it really stuck out because I just got to say, wow, the person, they have really good content, but the website is terrible. And the main problem is there are too many choices. And I know it could be like really helpful right now if you could actually see the website I'm talking about for yourself. But first of all, I would never call someone out publicly like that. So I'm just going to have to describe it to you. Also, there's obviously no way for me to show you through an audio podcast, but that's beside the point. So let me describe it to you, okay? So close your eyes, take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out. So on this website, when you visit the homepage, before you even have the opportunity to scroll down any further, you are presented with the following. There are four links to the website owner's course, and these show up in various forms. There's the pop-up, there's a banner, and there are two links that are just part of the hero section. And then we have three links to a product that you can buy. There are two links to the work with me page and there are two links to the home page, which yeah, we're actually currently on, but there is no indication that we're on that page. So if we click that, we're going to be confused and maybe get stuck in this weird loop, whatever. There are three links to other miscellaneous pages and then there are two links to the website owner's YouTube channel. And I just got to say here, this is a big no, no. Because what you want to do is keep people on your website. You don't want to route them off-site, especially to a social media website where visitors can easily discover your competitors. Altogether, with this website, there are 16 options. So five of these links are presented as big call-to-action style buttons. And the problem with that is that Overall, like with all of this, there are far too many choices here. With the calls to action, when there's five of them in a single like view, all of those are competing with one another for our attention. And while yes, having that many gives us the viewer options, it's very unclear which one we should click, like which one has priority, which one is the most important. We don't know because it's scattered. It's hectic, it's chaos, and none of those are terms we want to use to describe our website. You feel me? <laughs> so remember, just like choices, there is definitely such a thing as too many buttons, definitely such a thing as too many links. Keep it simple, you guys. I truly believe that you can successfully present more than one call to action to your audience but there's a way to go about it that works. There's a strategy to it. There's also a bit of an art form. Yeah, it's an art, okay? So friends, what did we learn here today? We learned that oftentimes less is more. By limiting the options that we give people, not only do we keep them more motivated to make a decision and limit their confusion, we also give ourselves the opportunity to better focus on the choices that we do offer people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I said it already. I'll say it again. If you are a restaurant, I do not want you to be the type of establishment that has a menu longer than War and Peace and people talk about you like, yeah, like, I guess we can go there tonight. Uh, they have everything and, like, the food is edible, I guess. I want you to be the restaurant that it's an honor to visit. People got to be making reservations with you a month or two out. You know, I want you to be the type of place that has got a freaking wait list and everyone is talking about that lovely little twist your cocktails have or how divine your dessert is. That sounds really wrong. And uh, oh yeah, the service. It's amazing too. I want you to be that type of place and I want you to want that for yourself too because you deserve it. So narrow your focus and stop giving people too many choices. I know it seems scary. You'll get used to it and your people are going to thank you in the long run. You're going to be stronger for it. So that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bite Size Strategy and allowing me to hit you with these brand building tips. If you're hungry for more snackable bites, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. You can also visit builditandblossom.com for more content like this. In fact, I highly recommend it because I've been putting up some cool stuff, some free stuff. We all love free stuff. Go check it out, builditandblossom.com. And that's a wrap, you guys. I will see you next week, I think, maybe a day late, but I will see you.